if you could design your own billboard going down 390, what message is Dr. Junior Dillon telling the folks up there? Let's have some fun. Junior, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, Ty, you ready? Why not, man? All right. Time out, Tyler. Who the heck are we taking a time out with today? Kevin, good to see you up there, man. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages from the 585 to the, you know, even over to England down here to the Arkansas-Texas line, we have Dr. Junior Dillon, the president and CEO of Volunteers of America. Dr. Junior Dillon, thanks for joining me and Kevin on the show today. Time out with leaders episode, I don't know, 107 probably. <laughs> and uh, I just want to ask you, man, if you could design your own billboard going down 390, what message is Dr. Junior Dillon telling the folks up there in, in the 585 this morning? Why am I telling them this morning? Yeah. Well, I want to be, you know, very, very thoughtful about the type of time that we're living in, actually. So I'm going to be like, listen, you know, listen, pay attention, observe, and lead with compassion and love. I love that. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about, we'll get into that in a little bit, because that's a big, big word that doesn't really bring its way into business too often, oddly, um, despite uh, us working so closely together. So, Junior, I have to ask, I mean, you 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 have that worldly view. You come from England originally. What's what if we caught you singing in the shower this morning, your favorite song? What song would that be? Oh, my God, man. I'm always what what would I be? What would I be singing? And so, uh, you know, this would be like my one song, actually, that, you know, I'd have for me for the rest of my life if I had to have one song. And it would be um, I don't know if this is the name of it, but Desiree, you know, you got to be. You gotta be bold. You gotta be bold. Yeah. You gotta be wiser. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, to me, it's all about you know being inspired. You know, and so um, that's what life is about. Whether it's listening to somebody, whether it's an an elder in the community, whether it's a a, a baby to a to a four year old. You know, we can learn from everyone, and every moment is an opportunity to learn. So it's about being inspired and being in the right mentality to receive whatever lessons are coming your way. Dang. Speak some truth. Yeah. Yeah, man. I want to ask, how are you so present? You know, we've been talking for six minutes here and you just seem glued in, man. Like, like, <laughs> how, how do you do that? How do you I'm going back to the song, man. It's because you got to be, <laughs> you know, you got, you, you got to be, man, you know, and it's, it's, it's really about the, you know, the and yeses instead of the and buts, you know, so how can we layer on top of each other? You know, um, none of us get here by mistake. You know, there's work and things that have happened that have cultivated or created an environment that we get to exist within. And so it really is about, you know, how can we now contribute to that and honor those that have come before us? And in, and even in those situations that have been challenging, right, di difficult or what we deem negative, you know, they're all situations that have created the environment that we live in today. And so, yeah, so I'm thinking about role is in that. I absolutely yes. love, love that perspective because it's it's almost like the the pessimist versus the optimist, right? And it's it's kind of do you take that failure as a as a scar um, and 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 be able to talk about it later, or do you continue to open that wound and keep the wound open um, without learning? Do you find that most people fail to reflect, and and that's why we're kind of just aimlessly walking sometimes that, and not really that, taking it in? That's a good point, what you're making there, a good question. I would say that that's actually, you've identified what true failure is. True failure is not being in a situation that you didn't succeed or didn't get the outcome that you had planned for. True failure is when you don't self-reflect, when you don't have that, that awareness, right? We have to be able to be willing to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable oftentimes mean, means facing up to situations that we may think bring us great shame. Right. So being willing to take that risk to be vulnerable, to put yourself in a situation where you know what? You might not fail. You might fail, sorry. You might not succeed. You might not get the outcome that you'd hoped for. But it's all about learning from that. Right. If we think about someone like Steve Jobs, you know, he probably failed a tons of times before he succeeded. Right. 
And that's why those wasn't true failures. It was the willingness to learn from those situations, to build something. And I think when we think about business and we think about community, charity, and where all those worlds um, collide when we think about human services and, and um, nonprofits, because it encapsulates all of those things, it's to really move the needle forward. We also need to be willing to, to fail or not succeed in the way we had hoped in some of the things that we create to, to serve the greater good. Because those are, the, those are the situations that we're going to learn from. And that's how we're going to learn really to, 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 to create value for those people who we, who we, who we're serving. Absolutely. And do you think just kind of going off of that, it's, it's, it's like my, my interpretation of businesses and you bring up Steve jobs. Nobody really talks about Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin and Steve jobs and even uh, Elon Musk, right? Some of these prolific people, we don't talk about their failures because we're so focused on the output, the outcome only. And, it, and it's the same forward view that I see within businesses that they fail to reflect to really understand what inputs drive those outputs. And it's awesome to hear you say like community, business, and charity. It, I just don't see, right? And Leadership Rochester was a prime example is that everybody complains about the problem, but very few are willing to roll up their sleeves and work together to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And you talked about how do I remain optimis optimistic? I would say that, you know, um, and this is a part of how, what I bring to an environment like this, where we have 150 staff, I have eight direct reports. You know, we have over 100 housing units. We have a children's center. We now have a hydroponic farm. We have an um, elderly um, center as well out in uh, in Webster. Um, so we have real time, real challenges every day when families show up at some of our shelters with nowhere to go. We have reentry services. We know, uh, you know, about sometimes the, the lack of respect and limited service with some of our veterans as well. So we we see all, all I say that we do lifespan work because of the, the, the you know from zero to to um, seniors that that we um, that we work with. But it, really, what it comes down for me in terms of that optimism is being it's a it's being realistic within my optimism, right? I can present and talk about and 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 reflect on and and face the challenges the real challenges that we have to address but if i go about it in a very negative downbeat deficit way then at the top where i sit that's the energy that's going to permeate throughout the rest of the organization the work itself is challenging enough Absolutely. and if i didn't think that we could have a positive change and we do have a positive we do have a positive impact in people's lives if i didn't think that we couldn't do that every day and also iterate and improve on that, then I'll be the wrong person for this role. Absolutely. So I have to remain optimistic. And also it's just a privilege to do what we do. I love that. Be there for people. I love I, I just love how you're saying it because if if you if you have that deficit mindset, it carries down and then it turns into blame right. and <laughs> And excuses, right? Instead, and how you said it at the beginning, it's that it's that and yes instead of and but, and and, and I love that, dude. Absolutely, and and uh, man, I love your optimism. All right, like I keep saying, Doctor Junior Dylan, uh, where where did you get that from? Did you grow? Did were you born with that? You think your family uh, like that, or you know, well, you know what it is? <laughs> I was saying to a friend the other night, man. I was like, look, man, if I if we was in a different time and we was in the village. I'll be like the um the understudy for the for the sage. I'll be I'll be training to be the sage. That's what I that's what I'll be, and that's where I would find joy, you know. Because a big part of it is a, a it's also about identifying where our strengths lie, and leading with your strengths, you know. And to me, your strengths there's a um there's actually a a, a renowned guy uh, Marcus Buckingham that goes and and talks about this, and he talks about strengths and weaknesses. He talks about um the old model of um, performance appraisals and things like this. And essentially how he views a strength is a strength is something that is energizing to you, something that comes natural to you. It's not, it's not necessarily something that you don't have to work on, right? We've, we, even if you look at sports, we see people with great talent, but they're the hardest workers, right? And so you do have to co go cultivate and foster your talent, um, but you have to identify what that thing is that brings you joy, that energizes you. So it, even in how I'm talking right now, this this is me. This is what this is what energizes me. I can only lead 
with my own um, attributes and, and weaknesses, even things that we're good at, if they take away from us, it's a weakness. If it's something that we just, oh my God, and we know we have to do things like that sometimes, but if that's where we're flexing and spending most of our time in that space, then that's not a good fit for you. Fortunately for me, I get to be that motivator for a great team. You know, I'm not necessarily the one doing the provider work every day. I used to be in that role. I'm not currently in that role because I'm serving in this role. But um, I get to be a, a great cheerleader and support from a team that are doing the work. And I get to think about and strategize with the team of how we're going to utilize the resources that we have for the greater good of those who serve in the community, which is over 5,000 people. Absolutely. Spot on. Here, her, like the, the thing that you're saying, research just came out. If you want to prevent burnout, spending 20% of your time on those strengths actually is a great way to fight burnout. But again, I get into the conversations that I've had with individuals and leaders, and a lot of people are are looking for that purpose and that passion, but it's the same individuals that fail to reflect to see what brought them strength and brought them energy. Um, so they're, they're kind of just doing the same old things and expecting a different result. And that's the definition of insanity. And what you just said, I think I want to go back to. When did you realize in leadership as the top of the pyramid, let's say, I think your pyramid looks a little bit different based on what you said. I find you at the bottom of the pyramid serving up. Um, but how did you realize that your sole purpose was to motivate and to listen and to align? Mm. Because I would say others don't see that role as the chief motivating officer. How did you get that perspective? Yeah, I would say that um, I want, a part of a part of it is, is actually selfish, right? It, a part of it is actually who who would I follow? What attributes would somebody have that, that I would actually follow? You know, um, my my leadership style is I is honestly varied because sometimes you do have to flex depending on what the situation calls for. But I would say from the beginning, I've always somehow found myself in work that has been in service of others. So I think at its core, I am a servant leader, and then all the other attributes kind of circulate around that um and you know that's something that you see in yourself sometimes because of what you're giving back from others so it's also how others respond to you right it's a mixture of that but again like i said what do you know what type of person would you know would i want to follow is it somebody that would be um empathetic somebody who listens somebody who leads with love and I, say, I use the word love intentionally, you know, Bell Hooks talks about redemptive love. And the reason why she talks about redemptive love is because quite often we apply the word love to situations where really there is no love. You know, it's something, it's what we've gotten, something, a situation that we've gotten used to. It could be quite toxic. It could be quite harmful, right? But we're labeling it as love. So Bell Hooks talks about redemptive love, something mm -hmm. that is pure you know, something that is not selfish, right? And so that's, you know, that's what I was looking for. And it's the same thing in terms of the culture, in terms of the environment. I think about what type of environment, if I wasn't the CEO, what type of environment, if I was another employee, would I want to walk into? Mm -hmm. What kind of environment is going to inspire me to want to stay? Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's where a lot of this came from. And in terms of, you know, specifically, um, I mean, I remember a time when I was a youngster, man, um, and, and I, I had to go to a, a, a new school. And I'll tell you, I, I was expelled from school. I was expelled from school. And um, it was horrible because I thought I was never going to see my, my friends again. And I, I remember when I got my PhD and, you know, my mom flew over from England and, you know, she was writing something on Facebook. So I helped her write it because I knew what she was wanting to say, <laughs> you know. And so... Um, but it, it was basically like, you know, look at me now, look at my son now, you know, and she could take great pride in that. But I remember the new school that I went to, and it was a whole new environment because a whole different cast of characters, different personalities. And it was a different cultural milieu than what I was used to, right? You know, different cultural milieu than what I was used to. I would say that the cultural milieu that I came from, the school, I had all my friends that were from my same culture. So it was more of a British Jamaican culture. Mm -hmm. And it was going into a school that had more of a, say, traditional British, um, you know, 
middle class culture, I would say. Um, so it was a it was a shift for me. Um, but I found my people, man, and we were kind of like the um, the ragtag group, you know. <laughs> so it was a, it was a it was a learning lesson. But I, even back then, if I reflect back then, um, you know, people was wanting to follow, and I don't mean in a, in a negative way. They was able to get something from what I was what I was putting down, whatever it is, whatever it was, you know, um, something that they was able to gravitate towards. And in England, you do this thing called the, I mean, you can sign up for it, the Duke of Edinburgh Award, that's the Queen's husband. And um, it's like navigation and orienteering. And they, they take you, they drop you in the middle of Wales somewhere. And, you know, you got to find your way to the campsite. Now, I know nothing about reading maps. You know, <laughs> I'm from the urban jungle, man, you know, the country, <laughs> Um, what we call, you know, flats or masonettes, which was like apartment buildings, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, but, you know, my friend knew how to read map, and, and, you know, and my friends had all the skills, but what I had was the leadership attributes to motivate us to, to keep going. And um, both days, we we finished first, right? And, and, and I like to think a part of it was me rallying the group and motivating the group, even though you know, running through some farms. I mean, they'd never let kids do this nowadays. I was like 13 at the time. <laughs> it's a different world, you know. I would say the teachers were circulating in their cars, basically. Yeah. But even back then, um, and I didn't have words for it, you know, I didn't have words for leadership styles or anything like that. It was just more operating from a feeling. And, um, yeah, so even back then, and so I think it's something that's always um, been within me, and I think all leaders as well have to be willing to take risks and go against sometimes what the status quo is. But I think what the difference with what you just said is that you were, you were willing to see the strengths of others and realize that the, that was not my strength. So let me be vulnerable and say, this is what we want to accomplish together. I think this is your strength. This is your strength. This is my strength and bringing all those strengths together to effectively achieve that outcome that we're all saying that we want. That's powerful stuff. And what you said, want versus inspire. I want employees to, to be inspired to stay. I hear most, I want people to want to stay. Inspired and want are two different words, I believe. And I think someone that Tyler and I, we reflect often as to past people that we've interviewed. And we we go back and say, well, what, what leaders are the best? And we say the ones that are the best are the ones that know themselves the best. Yes. And when did, when did you, I, it took until the pandemic for me, Junior, right? So it took until the pandemic to force me off the hamster wheel, to really get that pause, the opportunity to reflect, give myself the time, the space. When did you come to the realization of who you are as a person? Because that's probably why you embrace bringing emotion into a business when businesses fight so hard to separate the emotion from business. The common phrase is it's business. And we're all supposed to understand that that means cutting through the emotional aspect like love or human connection. How, when, did you, when did you figure out who you were and what made you tick? And how did you do it? Yeah, I think going back to, you know, um, being being vulnerable is that um, I'm not afraid to say that I'm always figuring out who I am, right? And, um, you know, a great saying that somebody shared with me in terms of a, a piece of advice is that, you know, I'm, uh, you know I, I have the right to know more today than I did yesterday, mm. right, which informs... The decisions that you make right so i'm willing to put my hands up and say to my team you know what you know let's 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 as a group go in a different direction because you know maybe i was wrong mm -hmm. you know and so um that's a big that's a big part of it and the pandemic was a, is an interesting time because um i actually switched jobs for the whole of the pandemic and went from you know doing some I'd say provider slash, you know, leadership type role um, in a community college setting to in going into philanthropy, and it was a good experience. You know, it was a great opportunity to 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 help, you know, some organizations or allow them to have access to things that they that would help them, right? Because they do a lot of the work, um, and but it also allowed me to see a lot of different leaders as well and how and how they lead and and sometimes you know it seeing others helps you hold up a mirror towards yourself yeah and like i said it was something that was inside of me and that that period 
really, you know, woke me up to say, you know, this is something that I should be doing. Mm. You know, it's nice being on this side of things and helping people have access. Like, who doesn't want to give out money? You know, it's, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the I don't want to say easy. I don't want to knock my philanthropy, you know, colleagues down. <laughs> you know, but um, let's just say it's, it's different, right? It is, it is different than actually being here and, you know, tr and trying to pull all these different complex aspects together and, and, and make things happen. So, but seeing that and being exposed to that did give me, did give me confidence. And then it was also a combination of um, the different skills and different trainings that I bring to the table. I mean, I have a, I would say I have a, a pretty rich, diverse background in, in human services from criminal justice. I'm a licensed therapist. Um, to working in philanthropy. I've worked in different um, sectors across human services as well. So I do feel like I have a lot to a lot to offer, you know, and um, definitely I think finishing up my PhD as well was uh, like a challenge. And so it was also also going to be about, well, what's the, what's the next challenge, you know? And um, when this opportunity came about and I read the job description, it spoke, again, it spoke to my spirit. It inspired me. I remember writing my cover letter just that instant. I wrote it and, and it just flowed. It was the most natural thing for me to do. Sometimes, you know, you're writing something, you're constructing it, you're, you're, but it just, it, it, you know, it, it just, it, it was just so natural and it truly was just coming from within, you know? And so, um, so part of it is, is taking opportunities of, of, of the moments that when, when they present themselves as well. Mm -hmm. I'm going a long way to answer your question here, but you know, I feel like you know, include tell this kind of like roadmap of how it kind of how it came about. Because I think I think people sit back in envy when they're like, "Wow, that person's doing something that they actually love." So you walking through that story shows people that it doesn't just happen, right? It's it is a journey, and you almost have to embrace the journey, embrace the past experiences. Because that is what is telling you what you're ultimately meant to do. It's not like you're born knowing what to do. And I think that's like a facade that a lot of people believe that, oh, they just know what they're to do. I'm 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 lost. Um yeah. and and I love it. I love it. And and I think the difference is really that selfless versus self selfish. And and I can't I can see the clear difference in the way that you lead and just the way that you seeing others, uh that mirror conversation. It's funny thinking about parenting, right? Um, somebody told me this the other day is like your kids is like looking at yourself in the mirror. It is your, oh baby. it is your, yeah. language. it is. And some of the things that I'm getting mad about at my two and a half year old, I'm like, wait a minute, that's exactly what I do. Why am I getting mad at that? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, um, that's where patience comes in, right? I mean, um, and some of us have more patience than I must say I'm not the most patient person. <laughs> you know, I feel like God, the universe, Jehovah, everything wrapped in one, you know, is um is 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 trying, is every day teaching me patience. And you know, in every moment, whether it's work, personal life, you know, kids, you know, um, but you know, kids really do need patience. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, they they really do. But they are also, you know, some of our um, greatest teachers as well. You know, I learn from my children every day, and and it's it's funny because sometimes you you see yourself, but you also see them. Yes. You know, you just see them. You know, and it really is a a, a beautiful thing. Um, and they they teach you, you know. If I if I get upset, I'm upset about something. My kids will call me on it. Yeah, you know. Ah, oh, you're right. You know, yeah. you just right. <laughs> you know. But I will say that helps me cope with with the job as well because you know I love my job. I love what I do. I love the mission. Some of the things that we love sometimes can be the source of our greatest pain. You know, because we love it so much. You know, and I will say that um in you know in this type of job, you do need to have things in your life that create some type of balance. Mm -hmm. you know and um kids you know selfishly even though they do care you know a part of them doesn't care because they're kids you know what i mean and so they demand your attention and time and so but it is good because it's it's a good way of just kind of like breaking away and separating from from you know the the the, the slug of the day-to-day -day sometimes you know some people often ask you know isn't that another stressor well you know yes and no you know yeah. it, it, it's different that's what i would say Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I got my two and a half year old telling my wife and I know phones and I'm like, yes, thank you for teaching. Us <laughs> yeah, that's I funny, promise it's just one thing that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, dude, how the hell do you know that? But 
I think they just have a great way of communicating in such simplistic emotional ways because they don't know how to articulate their emotions yet. So their words are totally different and it allows us to reflect. Tyler's still learning. Ty, I could talk to Junior all day. I want you to get a couple questions in too, my friend. I got like nine questions written down over here the past That's 10 good. minutes, man. And it, yeah. Uh, and, and with kids, man, that, that imagination that they have really sparks me up, you know, that curiosity. Yeah. And I, I, I have no problem being a kid again, you know, sometimes yeah. just with that, it, like, you know, hitting the day with not much overthinking, right? I think I work with a lot of people or have worked with a lot of people who can overthink to death, you know, yeah. and once they see my way, they're like, are you kidding me? That That's it. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, this, you know, this is enough for me, you know? Um, but the junior, I wanted to ask you, out of all those tools you mentioned, you know, from your PhD to your, you know, all the, all the tools you mentioned, what, what, what is most paramount to you in your day-to-day, would you say? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I think that one of my greatest strengths and I think that um, one of that, that I've been able to really hone, hone in on and utilize in this space is people management skills. Again, um, my job is to help the team. I'm going to use an expression here, show themselves. You know, it's something that I say to myself anytime I'm about to do something. I'm saying, you know, I don't ask to be the best. I don't ask to be the greatest. I just ask to show myself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that's, that's that's ultimately, you know, um, what my job is, is to have them show themselves, you know, show up and be the best that they can actually be because there's a reason why they're here. And so um, with with that being said, it's, it really is a big part of it is, is people management. And so not that, you know, everybody that I work with is in need of some type of clinical support, but be happy, you know, being trained as a therapist and having that training actually does help in this type of environment. Um, so yeah, working with people every day. Uh, yeah. That, that helps that, that, both internal and external. <laughs> Right, man. And I, and I think you you hit it on the nail on the head when you keep saying, you know, uh, the vulnerability stuff, right? We hear that word all the time. And and that, that word reminds me of like when you work with someone who are just are part of someone's life that has to be right all the time, just makes me sleepy. You know, it makes me exhausted. And and, and I love a leader who like comes out, flaps out and says, I don't know <laughs> the answer. <laughs> well, let's all think about this. You know, that's when I that really start jiving with folks when, when they open up a little bit and they're cool with not being cool. You know, yeah. it, it's the it's the I don't know. I think growing up in the '90s, especially, you saw this like like mm-hmm. uh, I'm never wrong type thing. And and I know I met a couple guys who really not didn't care about being wrong. And then I was like, wait, I can do that. You know, and that's and the more I failed the more I got to know what I was good at, you know, because yeah. like I'm, I'm such a competitor. I'll try to be good at anything. And you, you, you I don't know, for me, I, at least I, I stuck around in the wrong neighborhood for way too long because I thought I had to prove myself <laughs> to be something that, you know, really wasn't in my wheelhouse in a way. But, uh, you know, and to me, the smartest man in the room is the guy who failed the most, the lady who failed the most, you know, they, they start speaking from the chest there, just like you're doing, Junior. I can tell you've been through it, man. You, you got expelled from school, man. That's pretty darn cool to me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you gotta I was always getting in trouble in school, man. I was always getting trouble in school. Man. And 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 then the, the funny thing of it is, I'm not, you know, have I'm, you know, then I spent, you know, most of my life in school. <laughs> Absolutely, but then how well, quick, how quick is that? Me. But then how quick were you labeled as a as a problem, right? As a challenge? Oh yeah, oh I was labeled as a problem, like exactly very early on. In, in school and you know I think about my mom and why I put my mom through you know my mom you know at the time really being a single mom and having to you know come and get her you know unruly child from school sometimes and where she's got to you know leave work and it, and it really helps me reflect upon and I take those experiences into, into what I actually get to do today because um, again if you know paralleling that with the families who we serve we know you know one out of four and people in the city residents, you know, have transportation, which means that most of the people we serve have to use public transportation, right? You know, that would have been my mom, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, they're not having those type of jobs, you know, with, with a, you know, salaried or whatever. And so um, leaving work means leaving money on the table, mm-hmm. you know, that that's for the family. And so um, we get to be, a, have a role in that and, and assist um, those families. One of the things that we do here is um, we have dental care, 
right there in our in, in a partnership with Jordan Health um, in our children's center. Um, and that allows the children right there to get that get that care that they need without being having to be taken away from the center or their parents having to um, take a day off work. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest disconnects I think I saw in 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 nonprofits, philanthropy, charity. Businesses want to give money, right? We want to give money. Um, they think money is the solve, but they they fail to talk to the people closest to the problem, right? And actually ask what you need. And and I think your experience helped you to know like what is public trade. It means sitting at a bus stop. You you can get in your car, and that saves you the thirty minutes of you sitting at a bus stop. Now what? What do you do with that 30 minutes, that extra hour a day versus what somebody just has to do in order to get to work or get to their appointment? And one of the things that you said that I absolutely love is kind of your 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 show myself and Tyler said it vulnerable. I think the reason uh, you sound like you you're all about building trust and you you yeah. realize that trust is really the only effective way to garner that feedback from that population to our tell you exactly what they need um because i think a lot of people tell them what they need right ultimately and it doesn't it doesn't help anyone um within within the process how do you effectively like day one when you stepped into that organization in that role how yes. did you do to start building or rebuilding the trust with the 150 people and yeah. then eight direct reports so one of the things that I did was to to really show them that I'm just another person, and like I said, I, you know, it's it's as real as this for me. It's 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 lead lead or leave in the sense of not to be like fatalistic, but in the sense of you know when I was selected, it was I was honest about who I am mm -hmm. and what I bring to the table. So that's what I'm going to bring, mm -hmm. and so in saying that. It is a, it really is about removing the veil between, you know, the 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 White House and the outhouse, <laughs> you know. And so uh, meaning our administrative offices and our other sites, right? And the people who are doing the work every day. And so um one of the things that I've done is I've actually been meeting and I've basically got it done now. It takes a while. Um met with all of our staff one-on-one -on -one, and it's some depending on the side of the area in groups and had conversations with them and I generally asked them the same questions you know and it's what brought them to VOA you know um what's going well for them what's the challenge for them what do they think is going well at VOA what do they see as a challenge for VOA and then I asked them a miracle question and I intentionally asked a miracle question I give them an opportunity. I give them two possible answers they can give me. I never tell them they can only give me one, but I pose it as, you know, you can do one or the other, basically. And the miracle question is, is normally related to, is there something for themselves that they could have in the agency, what would it be? And if there's something for the agency that they could have for the agency, what would it be? I would say that maybe 80% of people always focus on the agency and not themselves. Wow. It tells us about um, the people that come to work every day and it's always something realistic you know i've given you the magic wand you got yeah. you know yeah the miracle. i do you the same me. damn thing and i'm like this oh, magic you know, wand can get you anything yeah. you got the magic wand you can you know you can and maybe that's where you know um tyler where you're talking about um you know kids and stuff like that um you know my you know my my brother calls it kid logic as well you know what i mean like sometimes maybe we need that because if we give kids a magic wand they're gonna you know oh yeah they're aspirational. so something happens to us in that process right where we our minds got to get more closed and closed and closed, mm -hmm. and closed you know and we lose that sense of agency we lose that sense of wonder you know and so i've seen that reflected um in the in the steps here and they always ask for something realistic and it's always something for the agency you know and so it's it's, it's very mission driven um, but I do want, you know, in building that trust, and they do appreciate being able to sit down and speak with me as well. Um, but in building that trust, I do want my people to be more aspirational, because that's the thing that's going to drive the new life. We want to make a realistic dent in reducing poverty, you know, through the, through the resources and tools that we have at, available to us. It's going to take aspiration. It's going to take innovation. It's going to take courage. It's going to take being bold. 
And so um, building that trust is key to that, right? Because then there's a there's the safety of knowing you can take risks, you can make mistakes, you know, you have that relationship, you have that buy-in, um, you're in a growth environment, right? And you're in a and you're 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 beating to the drum of something that's focused around people's assets and um, rather than you know what they bring rather than what they don't bring. I, so yeah. trust is key to it. But it, it's it's almost like you say, right? If you have a mission-driven organization and you have this service, and they're they're rewarded by the service and the difference that they're making. I've I work with nonprofits all the time, and what I see is that they fail to focus on the intrinsic motivation of those individuals, yes. right? So intrinsically motivating them to aspire for greatness, and what you that's the whole reason why they're in the roles. But they they almost don't get to see the end result in some of these nonprofits. As we get into the busyness, right, and the doing and the reaction, we almost fail to see the impact that we're having. How do you clearly and continuously show them that impact to intrinsically motivate them to do more or aspire to do more? Yeah, so I'd say that, you know, from the board to the leadership team to the you know, the management team to, uh, you know, frontline service providers, you know. Um, there's so much that, that happens here that we are caught up in, um, I'm going to borrow a phrase from um, Todd Butler from Causewave and the book, the, um, is it the Four Disciplines of Execution and the whirlwind. We're caught up in the whirlwind. And so we're focusing on, we're mission driven. So we're focusing on what we're doing every day. We don't often reflect back and say, hey, that was nice. Mm -hmm. So that's actually another part of my job. And so one of the things when I got here, we had a strategic plan that finished in, that was completed in June. And it was a three-year plan. And we kind of just did it and, and, you know, didn't really reflect upon it. Right. And so we didn't have an opportunity to really take stock of, well, what went well? Yeah. You know, what was we challenged with? Why were we challenged with it? Um, what do we need to bring forward? What do we need to iterate on? Mm. We didn't really take stock of that. And so I actually, and this is where actually some of my um, research skills come into play, you know, because I was able to go and review it. I did a review with my team and then write a report on it, you know, and it was almost like a, a qualitative exercise. Mm. And um, yeah, and then produced a report and, and, and share it and we was able to illuminate that oh even though we was in covid and it seems like a lot of the things goals that we had planned didn't get done we actually got a lot done we we did some significant um cola cost of living adjustments you know we have you know went some minimum wage workers here we wanted to make a, a difference um in that area um i know that um Remapi, Rochester Anti-Poverty and Mamo County Anti-Poverty Initiative, they had the, the level of champions. We were a part of that. We, you know, not just 15, we went up to $16 um, an hour. We did some good stuff with um, our 403B and retirement plans where some of our staff got, um, if they signed on, got um, $1,000. Um, we did some some significant things. Um, we brought more financial stability to the to the agency by actually paying down, um, you know, significant um, debt that we had and you know not for nothing I mean when we signed some of these some of these contracts I was at a contract and panel discussion recently this week at the Council of Agency Executives with um with um, Senator um, Cooney um you know some of these contracts that we signed to do this work we don't get paid till months later right um you know and sometimes we don't get um, minimum increases as well to keep up with cost of living adjustments and things like this. So sustaining an agency of this size to do the work, even though it's like, this is a huge agency, you got this revenue, it's not as straightforward as that. And so being able to, you know, that's the back, the other side of it that's not at the forefront, like that's not going to be on the website. Mm. We paid off debt. <laughs> but let me tell you, you know, it, it's important to maintain and do what we, you know, do what we're doing going forward. Um and so it was illuminating those things. And so I call it catching the good. And that's what I used to, um, actually, when I was a therapist, I'd always say that to parents because I actually worked with kids. Um, I worked with um, children adolescents. That was my that was my focus as a therapist. And, um, you know, I, I'm guilty of this sometimes with, with my own kids. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you, you're looking at the things that they're doing that you want them to change. You know, with my kids right now is that they never pick up after themselves. And I, when I see a mess, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's when I turned into my mom, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. But <laughs> you know, and so you, you tend to focus on that, and so it's you know, it's it's focusing on the good mm-hmm. and catching the good, and so sometimes we, you know, that judgment piece of our brain, and it's how we de- you know decompartmentalize and how we move through the world, but it comes so natural to us that it can get out of hand. And so um, it is important. Somebody's got to be there to say, hey, but what about this? And so, you know, catching that, catching, catching that good has been um, crucially important as well in terms of illuminating what's happening in the agency. I came in very early on in my tenure. I had a a town hall. I met with everybody, you know, again, removing that veil. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm not far removed from you guys, man. You know, at the end of the day, I go home. I want to chill. I want to relax, you know what I mean? I'm going to watch TV, you know, I'm going to read something, play some video games or whatever, you know. Watch <laughs> I am sport. human at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, human, you know, and so, um, yeah, so it, it's removing that and, you know, then people feel that greater connection. Absolutely. Dude, that's awesome, man. And I was going to ask you, like, being a man of service, right, what does that do to your spirit? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the, that's the part of it that we that we feel but that others don't see mm-hmm. you know we you know mm-hmm. we speak in these terms and you know whatever your you know um faith is or you know if it's if it's not a specific faith if you just have some kind of spiritual connections calling something that drives you whatever it is um you know i think that we can we can acknowledge that there's things in this world that we feel that we will never see you know but we're very much you know we're aware of them and so for me, keeping my spirits up is, is critically important. And so that means engaging in things that are life-giving where I can actually feel that feeling that feels good to me, that feels right to me, that feels authentic to me. Um, yeah, and then holding space for others to have that opportunity to feel that too is, is, is important as well. And that's why um, in my seat, I have to be the one that points out the positive things that are happening here so that others have that spiritual upliftment within their work as well they can feel some kind of positive force within themselves about what they're contributing to there's something something empowering when you can be authentically yourself and 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 i i I talk about tyler all the time but um you said um it sometimes takes somebody else to tell you the good right um and and whether it's god whether it's faith whether it's that that belief that there's somebody else out there looking for you cuz you can get in your own head very quickly right and you can be doing things and i don't know if it's cuz of the 90s babies we we were known notoriously known as the trophy generation but we we tend to identify our weaknesses quicker than we can identify our own strengths and i am guilty of it i suffer with imposter syndrome just like the best of them but it's who I have chosen to surround myself with. And I choose to surround myself with, with positive individuals who are authentic. Um, they don't come with a hidden agenda. Um, they're not looking to manipulate me within the relationship. And it's taken Tyler and uh, to identify even what a strength of it is. And Tyler showed me unapologetically that it is 100% okay to be yourself. And that for the first time professionally is when I allowed my personal side enter my professional side before I was fighting so hard to separate the two because I thought I had to be two different people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said so much there. It's got my wheels turning there. Um, you know, that old expression, you know, keeping it real, you know, what does that mean? You know, I would say that um, authenticity and when people are genuine, it amplifies authenticity and promotes mm-hmm. um, genuineness in other in other people. Absolutely. And I would say that, you know, when people are not keeping it real, when people are disingenuous, let's say people are fake, right? It also inspires and influences that in other people as well, because that's they start to look at that and think that's how they have to be right. to both navigate and negotiate the environments that they're in. So if you see that and you, what you consider to be success, but then you see in those traits, right? And you think, you may think, that's how I got to be to get success. That's what I got to be. But going back to that thing you can't see, right? The spirit, the soul, whatever you want to call it, what they're feeling, that does not feel good inside. Yeah. 
That's but until you thing. define what success is, you're going to take right. what other people's definitions of success. I take that, that's right. what I was doing. I was yeah. like, that's success. Great. Then I, here's the blueprint and that's how I'm going to go get it. And that's where I was saying, I was almost living everybody else's dream. I didn't even have a dream for myself. Instead of being you, right. Instead of being that, that, you know, once you acknowledge you and you're authentic and you've got people around you that help to amplify that and around you for you as well. Right. Yeah. Then you get to have, you have that opportunity now to zone in and focusing on what is real to you. Mm-hmm. What is it that, that Kevin wants? What is it that Tyler wants? Right? What is it that what is it that even if you just took the, the, our names away and said something internally inside of us is is pushing for and, and driving for? We get to confront that, mm-hmm. right? And through that confrontation, we get to get to learn and start to know, and then go for it. No. Gravitate towards it. Absolutely. Ty, what do you got? I got one more. That I was just going to say, Kevin, uh, it, it just brings me a ton of joy that I got to do that for you because I still don't know I did that for you, man. Exactly. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best part, though. That's the best part. Like you being un- unapologetically yourself helped me to realize that being yourself is okay. Like, I, I don't know how else clearly to put it. But, but I, think it takes someone to, I think it takes someone to... Like for me, it took me to see someone like that too. You know, I used to work with this dude, you know, in the business world that would literally go to like save people from crack houses and he would love it, man. And I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) You know, but he was him, you know, and and honestly, that when I met you, I think I was doing the same damn thing, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I realized uh, more people are playing pretend and dress up than what we would like to admit. (laughs) Yeah, but I, you know, I, I think it takes a role model, you know, a, a physical one sometimes to get to that spiritual level for me, at least, um, you know, then it kind of took off for me spiritually after that. But it, you know, I didn't believe in much until I saw a human being doing some cool things, you know, and being themselves. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to chime in with that. And Dr. Junior Dillon, man, this has been a fun hour, man. It went pretty dang fast. Oh, yeah, it went quick. <laughs> it did go quick. Well, I got to ask, Junior, who is who is that person for you? Like, who was that role model? What was that What was that person that, that showed you what was possible even for yourself? Been you many might not have across, yeah, many people across my life that have inspired me and offered some type of mentorship for me. I would say it's kind of life and life itself being open to learning. But specifically, I mean, you know, where my family's from, we talk about fiction kin, right? And that's people that are like family. Um, but I remember um, growing up, I had, you know, kind of an, an uncle that wasn't an uncle named um, Semba um, Jello Rutherford. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to college. I wasn't doing anything like that. I was just, I was actually lifeguarding and, um, I'm working in kitchens. I'm actually a pretty decent cook. And um, and he came and he and he was he's actually a godparent to my younger brother. And we hadn't seen him in a number of years. And he stopped by and he just he was just in awe of me for no reason. I hadn't done anything. He just oh. seen something in me. And he asked me these questions, you know, he's asking me, you know, you know, are you the type of person that likes doing things with your hands? Are you the type of person that likes talking to people? Are you the type of person that likes this? He's asking me these series of questions. I didn't know what the question was about, but I, I, he impacted me because he took, he just took an interest in me. Absolutely. And so that had a profound impact on me. And I didn't know at the time, but as I was answering the questions, it was actually triggering my thoughts to think about what type of person am I? What type of things am I interested in? And I never thought about those things before, you know. And so, you know, I, I hadn't done well in school or anything like that. And from that conversation, that was one of the catalysts for me going back to school, which was like in, in England, like an MCC type level, you know, um, getting what I needed to get from there to go to university. And he said to me, I want you to have your bachelor's degree in your back pocket. Right. And I said to people as well, you want to have your bachelor's degree and your passport in your back pocket, because if I didn't have my passport, I wouldn't have been. <laughs> but those two things and those two things have served me well because I've been able to travel and I've been able to build off of that bachelor's degree. And it's given me access to some things that I wouldn't have had access to if I had not had it. So, um, yeah. I so many things that you just said there, though, like actually putting your thoughts into your own into words. Right. And some of the things that you you think you're afraid of until you verbalize it, it, you're actually you see the words and you're like, well, I'm, I shouldn't be that scared. But that's almost the first time that they're seeing it. 
And you also said travel, passports. That yes. is the biggest thing in the world that I try to promote because the world can feel so small when you're not gaining perspective and seeing that's my, us Americans, right? I think this is the best part to end on potentially, but us Americans, there's like 25 million Americans out of the 325 million that are, that actually have a passport to leave the country, right? But yet we have this notion that this is the best country in the world. That's mm -hmm. only relevant to the experience that you've had because it's all yeah. you know. So right. it's fascinating to me, like just traveling and getting that broader perspective to really start to understand i guess ultimately at the end of the day daily intention that was my last okay. question for you i know you said you wanted to show your authentic self what's your daily intention like what do you what are you saying to yourself when you're getting out of bed in the morning or driving into work like what is that intention that motivates and moves junior man that is a profound question <laughs> and honestly um most most days are uh, you know I'm not sure whether I'm exactly having that thought process, but I do know that I am. My intention in in, a, in approaching every situation is that the situation in front of me is the most important thing to me. Wow, wow, amen. That is powerful. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, man. This was uh, you blew me away, um, blew Tyler away. I'm sure, but. We, we can always tell the authentic individuals that get on this show. Um, a lot of people will, will just sometimes regurgitate what's what they read in a book, right? Or what they heard in a, in a talk. Um, but this is real proof um, that you are making a difference. Um, and I just can't thank you enough for being in our community and looking to use your God-given strengths to be selfless and uh, truly make a difference within the lives of others. So thank you. That's why we do this show. And I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be on it. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, thank you both, man. It's been like, the time went by, um, you know, super quick. Um, you guys were fun to talk to even before we got onto the, you know, the, the topics. Um, you know, I, I you know, and I, again, I just want to mention, um, you know, VOA, if you want to learn more Please. about programs, go to voaupny.org um, and find out, you know, about all the amazing things that this organization that I'm privileged to be a part of is doing. I'm going to put a plug in for Junior, too, because I think you got a big uh, um, uh, thing happening. Are you talking about the launch of the farm? Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh, it happened. It happened in All November. Right. Well, then I knew you were you doing it. I know. Farm, yeah. And so what's happening with that, if you go to the website, you can access the farm from there. And because actually we are looking to get started with some subscriptions as well. But we've we've actually already impacted 200 families through the hydroponic farm. Um, and this is fresh produce that is produced right here um, on 214 um, Lake Ave. Thank wow. you. Yeah, it's a desert when we, uh, once you go in yeah. there. I mean, it's only bodegas and liquor stores and now weed. So like, I don't yeah. know how people were getting these nutritionists, uh, the meals that they need in order to be successful within their day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks guys. Tyler, take care, man. <laughs> you do, man. You too. Have you